Put your hands in the air. Pray in the language of the Holy Spirit. Even louder. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Now begin to clap your hands. Clap your hands. Put a shout on top of that. One more. Jesus is full of surprises. When I was invited here by a man of God that I knew from the West Coast, uh, when Jeremiah invited me to come, I don't do conferences. Uh, I, uh, what I do is I win gang leaders and drug addicts to Christ. And I win them in South Central Los Angeles and in uh, New York and in Chicago and we will go into areas other people will not go and we come out with treasures so now I'm gonna say something before you react okay when this sister was testifying I was losing it because that is what it's all about you know let me tell you something I love to get deep in the prophetic deep in the theology but sometimes we get so deep we forget John 3.16. And the story of God saving a soul. You will never hear anything better. And I, I was losing it when this sister was testifying. The devil lost. Woo! My God! Yeah, yeah. Is it all right with you if I preach a little bit tonight? Uh, how many of you are hungry for the Word of God, are you? I know that uh, Jesus is full of surprises because I don't know if Jeremiah knew why he invited me. And I didn't know why I said yes. Because I belong on the streets, I belong in the inner city. My goal is to shut down all the crystal meth labs in America. And I'm gonna tell you what happens. We, we decided on the name of our crusade, it's called Living Proof. Because we operate in supernatural signs and wonders. When we go into a city, we want the wheelchairs empty, the blind eyes open. We want people delivered from alcohol, not in 12 steps, but in one. Somebody said amen. But I know that Jeremiah is a man of God. My wife got one of his books and started reading it to me late at night. And he said something that I so agreed with that it jumped off the page. I am very familiar with the prophetic movement. I know a lot of the people involved in it. But when he identified a flaw in that movement, he did it very eloquently. When he talked about the heart of the Father. That if you don't know God the Father, you can't prophesy. I'm sorry, you can't. You're just saying things. And it's got to come from the heart of the Father. 
And that's how I'm coming to you today. So we're going to pray. I'm going to lead you in prayer. And then I'm going to welcome those uh, musicians. I'm going to welcome my sister to go and join us. And thank you very much for your help tonight. But I'm going to have you uh, all close your eyes. And I want you to agree with me in prayer. According to Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20. If any two of you shall agree as touching anything on earth, it will be done. For wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Put your hand over your heart and say it out loud. Say, Jesus, talk to me. Because your word is life. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody clap for the Lord right now. Thank you. Thank you. There are times when you just don't preach. You don't just get up and talk to people. There's a great writer named A.W. Tozer, and uh, he said one time, whenever you speak, act like the moment you're done that you'll stand before the throne of God to answer for why you said what you said. Uh, I was born in the year 19, none of your business. (laughs) How many of you were born in that same year? And there's a wonderful thing about getting older is you don't give a rip what anybody thinks about you anymore. How how many of you reached that level, have you? Isn't it wonderful? Like that offended you? Whoa, I almost felt it. Is that you, Roger? That's a wonderful man of God right there. Is that you, Brother Steve? Man, this is the Hall of Fame tonight. My friend Lou Ingalls on the front row, he uh, single-handedly changed the way California prays. The body of Christ changed how they pray because of this man. It's an honor to be with him. Now, I'm going to look at you a second and say, I want to know if you want to hear the truth tonight, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, because we know God's going to help us. A man said that the Old Testament was no longer valid. I don't know what he was smoking at the time. But he claims he has the second largest church in the United States. And he got up and he said the New Testament church needs to uncouple itself from the Old Testament. There are three kinds of stupid. (laughs) 
And for your convenience, that is all three right there. That's, that's all three. There's one thing about bologna is that no matter how thin you slice it, somebody said amen, right? You know, when the audience starts preaching for you, you know you better up the tempo a little bit, right? One day Paul said to Timothy, remember the word of the Lord that you received and the scriptures which are able to give you life. Now, what do you think he was talking about? The New Testament hadn't been written yet. The scriptures in the Old Testament can give us life. You believe that? How many of you believe it? How many of you thank God for the Old Testament? Do you? Well, I love the Old Testament. To uncouple myself from Psalms and Proverbs and the story of the, the miracle of Israel... Dude, that pastor is so open-minded, his brains fell out. <laughs> Are you with me tonight? Put your, look at the person next to you and smile at them. Say this to them. You must be a genius. Because you decided to sit next to me. You must be a genius. And Some of you don't have enough anointing yet. Look at him and say, this is the power spot right here, right where I'm sitting. And, and you must be a genius to sit next to me. How many of you believe the devil's a loser? I'm going to do something that ministers never do. I'm going to preach the Bible in context. <laughs> Yeah. So I want you to turn in the owner's manual to 1 Kings 22, and we're going to start reading at verse 3. And I'm going to break another law of preaching, which is I'm going to read a lot of verses without stopping. How many of you don't mind that? All right. First Kings 22, starting at verse 3. This is my first experience using the microphone that is like a telephone operator. <laughs> I've never done it before. I've, I've always had a mic stand and a mic. And brother, I'm kind of starting to like this a little bit, you know. Yeah, thank you. How am I doing? Like I've done it before, right? And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know Ramoth in Gilead is ours, but we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go down with me to fight in Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses and chariots and as your horses. Look at, and I'm going to keep going. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together. 400 men said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight or shall I refrain? So they said, go up for the Lord 
will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There's still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. Verse 9, The king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah the son of Imlon quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of this guy, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, With these you will gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied, so saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak only encouragement. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that will I speak. Somebody clap your hands, give God the glory. Ahab is one of the most mystical characters of the Old Testament because he was evil and he had bouts of good, flashes of it. But he didn't just marry a woman that had a Jezebel spirit. He married Jezebel. <laughs> now that's funny. I don't care who you are. I mean, you think about that. Nobody's saying your wife has a Jezebel spirit. The girl was. I mean, she put the bell in Jezebel, okay? <laughs> I'm trying to loosen you up before I hit you. Abraham was provoked by the king of Syria who was an idiot because he was justifiably defeated and he still held on to property that he promised the Jews he would give back. And he didn't, even though Ahab had shown mercy on him. And Ahab had had enough. He said, look, we're going to take back what's ours. So he called the man of God. Now you have two people here. This backstory is life and death. Jehoshaphat's a man of God. Ahab is not. And what are these two doing together? What are these two doing together? You know, I'm going to tell you that Matthew Henry said this about Jehoshaphat. He said he had a weakness, that he was a good man, but he had a weakness and he wanted peace. And though he loved the Lord with all of his heart and he saw incredible victories, twice in his career he made the same mistake. First in this chapter and then in 2 Kings he did it again. He went out with a, a descendant of Ahab off to another battle where they ended up in the middle of nowhere with no water. Now, here's the part that's important. 
In our need for church unity, we've lost something. Good and evil cannot mingle with each other. Now, one day Paul said something that I never forgot. And I mean, it hit me so hard. He said, if there's someone who's a drunk, if there's someone who's practicing immorality, I want you not to eat with them and not to associate with them. And if their life is disorderly, don't deal with them. Leave them alone. Now, here's the part that got it. But he said, I don't mean the unsaved. You know what? I'll hang out with all the unsaved drunks I can get around because I'll get them saved. Somebody say amen. Amen. I'll talk to a prostitute. I'll minister to an addict. I'll get around people that don't claim the name of Christ. But it's about time somebody stood up and said, look, if you're going to name the name of Jesus, it ought to show in your behavior and in your morality. Well, brother, I I just don't want to judge. How many of you heard that judge? Do not judge not. Liberals love to say judge not. And they don't know what it means. Matthew chapter 7, I've got to say this. I maybe like to learn something about the phrase judge not so that you can get it right. First of all, when you read Matthew 7, you hear Jesus say judge not and the surface interpretation of that is is don't be negative and critical of anyone. So later on, he refers to dogs and pigs and then calls his audience evil. Don't give what's holy to dogs. Don't cast your pearl before swine. And how you, being evil, can give good gifts. How many of you know, there's a whole lot of judging going on. (laughs) Matthew 7 is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount featured one villain, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but mainly the Pharisees. And the thing you've got to understand is that what this verse is referring to is an earlier accusation that he made. And he looked at him and he said, you have taught the traditions of men as if they were the word of God. And then he listed and indicted things that they were saying were God's word that were not. Rules that were invented. I'll show you how that works. Say a denomination is used of God early on, and then in their history, they become political. Now, you are not measured as a minister according to your relationship with Christ, but to your loyalty to the denomination. And we have the power to crush you, blackball you, and reject you, not based on anything in the New Testament, but based on our need to maintain order, control, and survival. Now, this is what Jesus is saying. Don't do that. In other words, here's the best way to interpret Matthew 7. Do not impersonate an officer of the court. That means you put on a cop uniform and you're not a cop, How many of you know, if you put on a police uniform, you're not a policeman, you pull somebody over, how many of you know, there is one of the most serious charges that there is on the law books of impersonating an officer. 
How many of you don't want a funny person putting on a doctor's uniform and trying to operate on you? Wave your hand at me. And do you remember when they said that character doesn't matter? Oh, I don't think political person's character matters. I don't think their moral matters. How many of you believe when you're sitting in a dentist chair and they're drilling on you that you want to make sure he didn't cheat on his final exam? You're not helping me enough here. That was good. You know, this material is worthy of louder amens than it's receiving right now. Look at verse 5 because we're going to look, talk for a second. Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, I'll go to war as an ally of yours with my horses and my men. And then he says, but also let's inquire the word of the Lord. When churches are run by an also, and they pray for God to bless a project that they've already decided on. This is an after-the-fact request for a word from the Lord. Now, I'm going to say something. Say amen. Get ready. Uh, timing is everything. Prayer is not a booster rocket attached to a human plan. When you pray, you can't use it to negotiate with God to enhance your already decided project. That is what's going on in this country right now. We need churches that are run by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me somebody. That are run by the original plan of God for that church. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Someone asked me one day what the secret to church growth was because I'm in a lot of churches. They looked at me and said, Mara, what is the secret to church growth? And I said, apparently it's everything and it's nothing. Because I've seen everything tried and not work. And I've seen everything else tried and it worked. I've seen people that said, well, if we have these services at this time, that worked and then it didn't. And this works and that doesn't. The only thing that works is to pray and obey the voice of God. That's the only thing that works. Clap your hands, everybody, please. We have lost America. We've lost America. You, you, everybody needs to quit talking about, like, oh, America's a Christian nation. A Christian nation does not abort 70 million children. This idea that we're a Christian nation. Listen, I'm going to tell you, my generation put a man on the moon. Your generation put a man in the woman's bathroom. I maybe know there's something wrong in the head. Now, I'm going to amen myself. I'm going to get you off the hook. Amen, brother. That's the truth right there. Why is Jehoshaphat still nervous? 400 prophets have said the exact same thing. He's still nervous. Look me in the eye. 
he's still nervous. So he says, is there one more? I said, yep, one more. But I don't let him speak because he always prophesies evil against me. Remember that part? Watch this. I was in a church and I was with a pastor. Remember I told you about getting old enough and you don't worry what people think? I was with this pastor and he said, he mentioned the name of a preacher. And he said these words to me, oh, he will never preach in my church again. And I decided, you know what? He already handed me my check. And I looked at him and I said, I'm going to tell you something. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And, and he said, what? Uh, holding on to my check with one hand and rebuking him with the other hand. They don't teach you that in Bible college. They should, but they don't. I said, you are wrong on every conceivable level. I said, number one, did you phone that brother to ask him about what it was that offended you and what he did in your pulpit that you didn't like? Did you get a hold of him again? And second, this is not your church. I need some help with that right here. This is, this is not your church. How dare you tell the Holy Spirit who's going to be in your pulpit and who's not? I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I felt real good. <laughs> now let me move on because I want to tell you, everybody is preaching the same today. Every preacher on TV sounds just like the other. And not only do they sound like each other, you can just imagine them if you watch late night television and you see the preachers on TV, in one moment you could be in one program, but if you leave the room to get something to drink, the next voice sounds just like them, only they're selling condominiums in Hawaii. <laughs> now I need some help right now. There needs to be a spirit in us that says, I don't care how it's going to affect me. I need the true word from the Lord. What is the true word from the Lord? What is God saying? Now, you say, but Mario, I don't want to hear a harsh message. That's because you're not thinking of the alternative. You don't know what your options are. Jehoshaphat got it. We're about to embark on an expedition that's going to cost the lives of people. We're going to battle against the enemy. We're going into warfare. And we're not going to know for sure if it's God. We got 400 clowns. 400 prophets got out of one car. That's how I knew they were clowns. And we're going to base the blood of our soldiers on their 
impression of what God wants to do. Ladies and gentlemen, we've lost this country, and if we want America to get back, we have got to get over a lie from the pit of hell. And the lie from the pit of hell is that the American public can't take it. But they can handle the truth. Help me, somebody. The American public can handle the truth. I went to an attraction church. How many of you have ever heard that term, attraction church? Have you ever heard attraction? Attract, doesn't they sound like online dating or something? Well, here's what it is, and I'm not going to name names because I'm so sweet. But the attraction church, look me in the eye, ends usually has about a 12-minute sermon. They give you free coffee when you walk in, and pretty much they hand it to you like, you better drink this so you can stay awake. And uh, they have big screens, skinny jeans, and fog machines. Now, now, oh, wait a minute. Mario, you're getting out there now. now. Now, listen to me. How many of you still love me now, do you? Now, wouldn't that be like an awesome country song? Big screen, skinny jeans, and fog machine. Somebody's going to write it, and I want to tithe on the sales. I'm, I'm, everybody clap your hands. Give God the glory. Yeah. I need to get going on this. Some of you are starting to not like me. Thank you. Well, so I decided, the guy said, well, you criticize them, so you should go there and see them first. And I, I said, dude, what's wrong with your voice? <laughs> no. I, uh, The sad part is, is this is not a genuine laughing revival here. This is just laughter. So I, um, I went in there, and the guy next to me, I'll never forget this. He had no socks on, and he was wearing Bermuda shorts. You cannot criticize Bermuda shorts in Florida. What are you, nuts? But I'm going to. I think they might give you skin cancer. I'm not sure. Plaid Bermuda shorts. I bet you when you go to hell, they'll say, you're here for eternity, and here's your plaid Bermuda shorts, <laughs> and they're flame-proof. Yeah. Am I right? Huh? How many of you are having a good time? Clap and give God the glory. Come on, clap and give God. God the glory. So, help me with this. He had a pad, one of those electronic pads, and his pastor is like 40 feet away from him, and he's looking at his pastor on the screen of his pad instead of looking at him. 
And you know, this guy, no, he, he's got deck shoes, no socks, Bermuda shorts, got his leg crossed with his, looking at his pet, and he goes, I can download his notes. And I go, whoa, that's something right there. And he said, and I'll follow him while he's speaking. So I listened, and I listened to the, and he goes, today I'm using PowerPoint. And he was, 12 minutes later he's done, and I'm baffled because there was no power. And, and, and no point. Is anybody here with me? Are you here with me? This is going to take a while, so enjoy yourself. Four hundred men had the same accent, the same inflection, the same verbiage. Here's a big word for you, the same nomenclature. Man, I just looked that up. I felt smart. <laughs> Nomenclature is a series of words that apply to a certain profession or subject. Everybody talks that way. It's the lingo. There's a lot of lingo in the church right now. And it couldn't be at a worse time. Because the devil is saying to the church, unless you, if you go 13 minutes, America doesn't want you. If you tell the truth, America doesn't want to hear it. But nobody knows from experience if that is even true or not. Everywhere we go when we set up our tent, we have advertising that is subtle, it's uh, seductive, it's culturally relevant, it's, it's, uh, it's how shall we, sociologically homogeneous. It says, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. Come and be delivered of your addictions. We hand those out, and everywhere we go, these ministers warn us again and again and again. Nobody's going to show up. Nobody likes that. That is too direct. You need to be more loving. There is nothing more loving than being direct. I'm going to try it again. There is nothing more loving than being direct. Am I right? Well, they come and they bring their friends. I'm going to tell you about a park in Fresno. There's a gang in Fresno that MS-13 is afraid of. The most violent gang in the state of California is in that area. And the Lord said, put up your tent right in the middle of the battle zone. How many of you like to know what happened? Yeah. Well, you know, we thought no church people are going to show up. Put it up. The neighborhood, we went through the neighborhood. When we give away food and clothing, we make them hear the gospel first. And you say, well, Mara, that doesn't seem right. No, the Bible says the poor have the gospel preached unto them that go tell John that the sick are healed and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Well, listen to this part because this is so amazing. 
I'm waiting. I know the gangs and the homeless and are going to be there. But I pull up and I look outside and they're BMWs, Lexus, Mercedes, and Land Rovers everywhere. And the people from the suburbs whose churches have starved them to death of the supernatural. Business people sitting in those chairs. One is getting healed of drug addiction. The other is getting healed of religion. And God is rejoicing over both of them. Come on, somebody, shout! Give God the glory. Everybody sounds the same. Everybody dresses the same. And it's possible that a spirit, Jehoshaphat thought, there's something about this doesn't feel right. America doesn't feel right. Church culture doesn't feel right. I don't care what anybody says. Well, Myra, we have 20,000 people. Doesn't matter. The devil, that's chump change to the devil. The devil will build a massive organization if he can neutralize the army of God so that they're not on the front line when the nation is about to be destroyed. America doesn't need to prove today that we can have beautiful buildings, golf carts, and all sorts of amenities. Right now, America needs to know the Christian that gets up and says, the reason you're miserable is you've taken God out of everything. You can't even talk about God. You can't mention God. You can't pray to God. And it's killing your family. It's killing your future. It's destroying you. I heard so many positive reports about Lou's message. And we were talking about abortion today and the savagery of it. And we thought, you can't even, you know, to be able to not say anything against abortion in a pulpit, you know, instead of me defending my right to talk about abortion, let's, let's try to defend your position and why we don't mention it. Why is it wrong to feel queasy about dismembering an unborn child. How is that like something wrong with me that I'm hateful? And will history look at Planned Parenthood the way we look at the German concentration camps? You know, when I read, am I preaching yet? Is anybody getting on fire? Well, you need to brace yourself and hold on. It's Saturday night, and some of you weren't even stoned this early when you were unsaved. So don't tell me it's late. You know. So now, God made Jehoshaphat nervous. There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake. I never had a chance to tell Lou Ingalls this, and I'm so thrilled he's here. But one day I had lunch in Los Angeles with five heads of the Christian crime family. I mean, five pastors. Man, I shouldn't watch a Godfather movie before I preach. Your language gets mixed up. But I had lunch with them to talk about revival. 
They controlled 120,000 Christians in L.A. Five men. Think about that. And they were talking about how they speak about God loves you just the way you are and how they, all of the things that I'm referencing. And I sat there and I said to them, can any of you name a mega church that was in Los Angeles in 1906? Give me the name of a mega church in Los Angeles, 1906. Just give me a name. You're historians, you're experts on church growth. Give me one name. Not one of them could produce it. But I said, every one of you have heard of Azusa Street. And I said, that's because history's not going to remember your church. They're only going to remember revival. So, now, how many of you want a revival? Well, how many of you want a revival? Let me thank you. Yeah, I know you do. Wow. Lord, give me another one like that. Is anybody else like that? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm not here to present some new revelation. I'm just here to confirm that you're absolutely right. He's right. God is sending a signal through America right now and making people that love him sick of religion. They're frustrated with it. They can't take another day of it. And they don't even know why they feel that way. And this is the word. I heard all 400 of your speakers and I still need another one. It is astonishing the malnutrition in American Christians. When we need to read the Bible, we got some in our movement telling us to depend more on our impressions of the Holy Spirit. Not the Holy Spirit, but impressions of the Holy Spirit more than reading the Word of God. Folks, listen to me. We got to get back in the Bible now. Right now. Right now. Verse upon verse, line upon line, the Word of God. Because it's a lie that America doesn't want this. Now, David Wilkerson said it this way. Godly people have talked to each other and compared notes. And they've said there's got to be more. There's got to be more. It's got to be more than the sermon is over and the usher told you to keep your hands down and you, you, you can't pray in tongues. You can't have the gifts of the Spirit because we're going to offend the outsider. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It isn't, it isn't the outsider that we're trying not to offend. It's the hypocrite that left the other church and came to you that you're trying to hang on to because they tithe. And I'm telling you now, it is not worth it to say I have a big church when my country is about to be destroyed. I need some help right now. I need some help. Is that the truth?
Someone asked me, what is the number one attribute you want to see in the next generation of preachers? Boy, that's a good one. I, you could say holiness. You could say love. You could say discipline. Talent wouldn't hurt. But God gave me the number one word. You're doing good. You, you wouldn't make it on Final Jeopardy, but you're close. You're close. Picture this. Picture this. Two kings in royal robes sitting on a throne. 400 prophets trying to drown each other out to affirm the prophetic word of the hour. And thousands and thousands of people looking on. And you, Micaiah, are all alone. The whole generation is thinking this way. But God told you it was this way. Every time you went this way, your offerings got bigger, your crowds got stronger, and your popularity increased. I'm about to tell you one of the most chilling stories you've ever heard. But I'm going to finish with Micaiah first. He said, whatever the Lord tells me, that will I speak, and that only will I speak. Whatever the Lord says unto me, that will I speak, and that only will I speak. This man right here, that's what I hang my whole existence on. I have preached to the hell's angels. I preach to a feminist convention of the National Organization of Women. But biggest thing, I did a junior high camp. Bring on the demons. Bring on the killers. But don't Put me in a junior high camp ever again as long as I live. And I had felt like I was supposed to go. The camp director met me at the side door. There are 400 middle schoolers in one room. I'm going to try it again. 400, that number, doesn't that sound familiar? 400. 400. Middle schoolers in one room squirming with the attention span of a housefly. And, and the guy meets me at the door and he doesn't look happy. I listen to your tapes. Isn't it funny how everybody I know has the same voice? <laughs> I listen to the tapes. And our kids are not doing any of that stuff. And so there are three things I don't want you to preach about. One is drugs. Second is sex. 
And third is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You will not mention these three things. Can you hear me? I said, I heard you. And I went in the pulpit and I began to speak and I said, I want to tell you how honored I am to be here and to admit to you that I, had, I totally drew a blank on what to speak on today. But your camp director has suggested three wonderful topics. <laughs> and we're going to take them one at a time. That was fun right there. That was fun. Yeah. So now, <laughs> Micaiah was trained by Elijah. He was one of four protégés. The other was Elisha, and there were two others. And Micaiah standing there, and intimidation doesn't even begin to explain it. The crushing weight of what he's about to deliver is against everything. And the mountain of it requires an appreciation that we're not really capable of having. Number one, he's looking at the king who is a tyrant and he's going to say, you're going to die. God has sent a lying spirit to provoke you to die. The same thing is happening to the left in America right now. God has sent us a spirit to come on the leftists to say things like the world is going to end in 12 years or you need to pay 90% tax or we need to put a baby on a table and let it lay there and decide whether the mother wants it alive or dead. And to say that and to have this arrogant, unspeakable savagery that America isn't going to react when instead all you've done is to wake up a sleeping giant in the United States. Yeah. 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 That's all you've done. What is that thing that we need? What is that moment, ladies and gentlemen, when this man of God looking at two kings in royal robes on a throne, 400 prophets flattering, going to DEFCOM 1 in flattery, and then thousands standing and cheering the word of the Lord. History is going to be shocked at what our current breed of Christian celebrated. You know, before abortion was a live, moving baby crying on a table, waiting to die, it was still wrong. It didn't just become wrong. That was just the graphic that was missing in, the, in our brain. And when pastors stood here for decades and say, we're not to have a political opinion. We're not to tell people how to vote. We're not to speak out against these leaders. You were as evil then as if you were celebrating like New York. 
And just because everybody agreed with it didn't make it right. It was never right to say church ought to end in 12 minutes. It was never right to stand there in a talk show when the man asked you a question and said, do you believe in hell? Or do you believe that homosexuality is a sin? Or do you believe in the rights of the unborn? What is your stand, Mr. Preacher? And you're thinking about your big salary, your big church, and your big popular bestseller that just hit the top of the New York Times when a nation is going to hell and a generation is hearing a lie and when truth is being stampeded. You know what you say? It's what I said. ABC News. Oh, you can't find it because everybody buried it. Mario, what do, you, do you think homosexuality is a sin, Mario? Cameras are rolling. He said, what is your opinion? And I said, my opinion doesn't matter. I don't have an opinion. When I was called of God to preach, I lost my opinion. I gave it up. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when I prayed, God won, Mario lost, and I became a voice that would say it. And I'm going to tell you what it is. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible, I'm waiting on you right now. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Well, Mario, what you just did offended me. I'm okay with that as long as you look in the mirror and repeat after me. The Bible says this is a sin, but I'm offended that he quoted the Bible and said it was a sin. And then ask yourself, what does that say about you? What is it? Here's the word, courage. 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 And you look in history and courage time and again, again and again and again. The courageous leader saved the day. Now, I had to move on because that took way too long. But that was your fault. Because you're a long-winded audience, you know. You guys need to shorten it up. <laughs> Micaiah said, I saw a devil volunteer. He came before God and said, I, I'll tell you what, I'll go down there and I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. Even say that, if you read it in cold blood. You know, when I first read it, it sounded to me like this. <laughs> Lying spirit in the mouth of someone that used to prophesy. Nothing gives me a greater chill that out of the same mouth where goodness and purity used to flow, a devil is speaking, and you're nothing but a wicked hand puppet? 
And he said, and it was done to get you to be destroyed. Let me tell you something. I'm taking you back in history a few decades. The day is Thursday, August 11th, 1927. The place is Angelus Temple. The man is Smith Wigglesworth. He stood in the pulpit of Angelus Temple. He looked at the thousands that were there and he said, I am covered in the warm oil of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to preach to you prophetically about the future. He said, before the coming of Christ, many Christians in America are going to fall away. Smith Wigglesworth. And he said, there'll be a division in the church between those who love God and will press into him and those who were there for all the wrong reasons. And he said, many flattering voices will be raised up and thousands will follow them. Then he went on and he said this, 50% of the church in that day will not be ready for the return of Christ. And I'm, so I with, wish I could have sat with Smith and said, what do you mean by not ready? Not ready, unable to go with Jesus? Ready? And then he said this, but to those who seek the Lord, something special is going to happen. Now, years ago, a woman of God by the name of Fuchsia Pickett wrote a book about the coming revival. She said something is coming. Right before he went to heaven, Oral Roberts said, the churches that are in compromise now are not going to be the last word. God is going to pour out his spirit and do something special. Stephen Hill, before he went to heaven, said that there was, he saw a dream of an avalanche that was deceiving millions of Christians. David Wilkerson saw thousands of fires, and he said that America was being corrected by God, but that out of it a remnant would rise up and have an incredible impact. Kenneth Hagin saw a vision of America's destruction, even though he was the most positive preacher I ever heard. He saw a vision of America's destruction, and he said, out of it, God will raise up a breed of Christian where all of them pray for the sick and people are healed everywhere. Now, A.C. Valdez, who grew up in Azusa Street and became an evangelist, said that there would be a day when the work of the Lord would be so supernatural that even missing limbs would be restored and miraculous things would happen before the eyes of people. And then back to Smith Wigglesworth, everybody, maybe give me five more minutes. If you'll give me five minutes, will you raise your hand? Lou, help me count. Five, 10, 15, 20. <laughs> no, five minutes. That's all I want. So, Smith Wigglesworth, and I don't know if we, we can put this anywhere. Well, John 16, 24. 
Hitherto you have asked me nothing. Ask that your joy may be full. Stop, everybody look at me. I'm shifting gears very quickly. I want to look at you a moment. What does that mean? They had seen the dead raised. They had seen thousands healed. And how could he say to the disciples, hitherto you have asked me nothing. Compared to what you should, let's rephrase that. Compared to what you should be asking for, you are asking nothing. The only thing worse, or excuse me, let me say it right. The only thing as bad as the deceived false prophet who's speaking comfort and ease and, and maintaining the status quo while America's about to be destroyed. The only thing as bad as that is the Christian who loves the Lord but isn't asking him for miracles to touch America. I don't think you heard what I just said right there. It, it's wrong for them to ban it but it's wrong for us to ignore it. It's wrong for them to act like it's not possible. It's wrong for us not to be asking for it. And you know what I'm saying right now? I ask you, Lord, that you'll begin to heal blind eyes in the streets, blind eyes on campus, open wounded hearts, heal cancer, remove the AIDS virus, do the supernatural before I. Somebody say amen. Give God the glory. Clap your hands and give him the glory. Glory to God. Can I boil down Smith Wigglesworth's sermon on that August 11, 1927? He said this. I believe that we're going to see deception. Churches will gather for all the wrong reasons, there'll be no life in them. 50% of the church won't be ready. But he said, there's another group, and he said, that's what I want you to be. He said to the students that were sitting in the audience from Life Bible College, he said, this is what I want you to be. He said, I want you to begin a life of extravagant asking. I want you to begin a life of extravagant asking. I want you to begin to ask things you've never asked before. We don't need thousands of dollars. We need millions of dollars. Help me, somebody. Quit. We got to stop acting like we got a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time. Mara, why are you preaching this way? Because I don't know 10 churches in America that can handle what I said tonight. You're one of 10 that I would trust. And there are a lot of churches I know that are really wonderful churches, but they can't handle the truth. I, I can't do uh, Jack Nicholson. I can't do that. <laughs> but extravagant asking. Put your hand over your heart. Say extravagant asking. You, some of you don't realize that you don't have as much time as you think you do. You think you have time. You don't have a lot of time. And the devil is pulling out all the stops. And God is starting to draw a company of people unto himself. And he's giving them 
a pure reason to be born again, a pure reason to be baptized in the Spirit, and a pure reason to say, you know what? I may be a housewife, a college student, a businessman. I may be a, a gardener. I may be a surgeon. I may be an entrepreneur, but that is my uniform. That's my front. What I really am is a weapon in the hand of Almighty God. I'm a weapon. And I will lay hands on the sick, and I will prophesy, and I will be used of God. Somebody help me preach right now. And I will be the devil's worst nightmare. And I don't want to go to church and have my pastor believe he has to charm me and babysit me and mulch me when all I really need is to understand my weapons, my authority, and my commission. Glory to God. And finally, don't. Yeah. I'm trying, Lord. I'm trying so hard to just say what you want me to say. Ezekiel was minding his own business one day when the hand of God picked him up and carried him to a strange land. And when he landed, he was on the edge of a bluff. And as far as the eye could see north were dried bones. And to the west, to the east, and the south, all he saw were bones. They were bleached dry. And the voice of the Lord speaks and asks him a question. He says, son of man, can these bones live? Now, you know, Ezekiel, he doesn't say anything because he's scared. He's wondering if these are the bones of people that God asked that question and they answered it wrong. So now he says the only wise thing you can say. Only you know. The Bible talks about that only you know. Look me in the eye. It says, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man the things God keeps ready. There's what we think God can do in our time. And then there's the extravagant asking. Here's what we teach about faith. And I believe in faith. I'm a, I'm a man who believes in the word of faith. I love Brother Copeland. I, I really esteem him as a man of God. But let me tell you something. There are things that even that can't explain. Because here's what we teach. If you can see it, if you can imagine it, and you can confess it, you can have it. But that, if you flip it, is a limitation. Because what you can only have is what you can imagine, what you can believe, and what you can see. But the Bible says what I can't see 
nor ear heard, neither entered in the mind of man. You want to see an example? Look at me. On the day that the saints of God were praying in the city of Damascus because the killer was on his way, and they were interceding. I promise you, if you could have had a recording of the prayers of those Jews in that room, they would have said, Lord, stop him. Lord, intervene. Lord, but I imagine anyone standing up in that prayer meeting and saying, here's what I want you to do, God. Send a laser light, knock him off his horse, blind him for three days, fill him with the Holy Ghost, and then let him write 50% of the New Testament. Amen. Now somebody tell me, is that something the eye could see or the ear can hear or can enter into your mind? What God is about to do in America should make the devil tremble in his boots. It should terrify him because there's coming a church. There's coming a church full of the Holy Spirit and fire, full of miracles. Glory to God. Clap your hands, everybody. Clap your hands. Get up on your feet. Make a joyful noise to the Lord of victory, of victory. Come on, keep clapping right now. I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I'm going to do two things. I'm done preaching. I'm going to do two things. The first thing I'm going to do is command sickness to leave this room. Pastor Strader, would you bring Roger up here? Would you come with him? And just stand right here. The man I'm about to pray for already knows he's healed. The man that I'm about to pray for, and it is so good to see you, man of God. And I want to ask Lou and Jer Jeremiah to come right now. I had no idea the last time I saw my precious friend what he was going through. And he asked for prayer. And if I had known, I would have prayed so different. But I'm going to command this illness to come out of his body. And I'm going to command his, every vital organ in his body. You don't need to know. If you don't know the story, you don't need to know it. You need to know that God is about to make him whole. Yes. Yes, every shred of this illness is removed in the name of Jesus. These kidneys come to life. The blood comes to life. The damaged tissue comes back to life. You said, Lord, hitherto you have asked nothing. Ask that your joy may be full. God, let it flow like mighty flowing miracle power in the name of Jesus. 
now everybody begin to celebrate his healing. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Whoa. Boy, he's under the power of the Spirit right now. And it wasn't my prayer. It's God that's doing it in his body. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I want you, if you need healing in your body, put your hand in the air right now. I'm going to tell you what happens in our meetings. I'm going to describe it tomorrow morning, some of the miracles that have happened in our meetings. And the first thing I want to do is ask this man right here, sir, Put your hand in the air because you need healing. Put your hand over your chest. You're being healed by the power of Jesus Christ right now. Now, every one of you that are standing here, we're not going to have a long service. Well, we've had a long service. We're not going to have a long healing service because the healing service was accomplished on the cross of Christ. Yeah, it was. We don't need, we need to... Take authority. Take authority. I command diabetes to leave this room. There are over 100 cases of diabetes and blood disease that I believe is vanishing from this hall right now. Pray in the spirit right now. I command spines to straighten. I command heart disease to leave. I command arthritis, bulging discs, sciatica. I, I'm talking about nerve damage. Neuropathy of the feet. Asthma in children. Brain damage. Bone disease. Cancer. By the word and the power of Almighty God, it leaves this room. It leaves this room. It leaves from one end to the other, from the front to the back. There won't be a, a single person left without a miracle. Tell, say it, I'm being healed. My sickness is leaving my body. I'm being made whole by the power of God. I know that I am healed by His stripes. I was healed by his stripes I was healed everybody clap your hands and give God the glory my brother this is a miracle I can't wait this is the preacher in the wild and he's going to be even wilder than he was before thank you for coming Roger what an honor, brother. Love you so much. Give him a great big hand. <laughs> Glory to God. Would you be seated for a moment? I want you to give our brother Jeremiah Johnson a great big hand right now, and I'm going to tell you why. But I want you to clap for him. 
Yeah. Yes, absolutely. To God be the glory, but we honor you. Wonderful. You know, for any pastors that, to have the courage to bring me in. <laughs> yeah, he's right up there with Micaiah. He really is. Wow. Because the, the one thing you don't want to do when you're thinking, well, I wonder if we should have Mario at our convention. The last thing you want to do is get on the phone to other pastors and go, what do you think about me having Mario? You've got to be kidding it's funny what you might hear. But you know what is wonderful? I'm, I don't really go to a lot of churches. I go to the inner city. I go to where the lost are. And we just do crusades. So I want to talk to you for a minute about the altar call. Because I'm going to give one. So, Mari, everybody here is saved. <laughs> you have no right to assume that. You never have a right to assume that. Because some of you have the look on your face that is my favorite. The I was kidnapped and dragged here by my friend look. <laughs> and you've been looking at the exits all night. Like, and, uh, but yet you stayed. If you take the message Bible translation of Acts chapter 2 verse 40 which in the King James says with many other words he warned them saying save yourself from this untoward generation but in the message Bible it captures something really powerful and it's the way that I give altar calls he says and he went on in that vein for a long time Warning them over and over, get out while you can. Get out of this sick and stupid culture. When I give an altar call, 90% of my prayer before I come into a crusade is over the altar call. I pray for a sermon, I pray for miracles, but I pray for that moment at the end more than any other. And pastors have fear of an altar call, some of them. And by the way, I've, I've talked about some bad guys. There are many great men and women of God in ministry in America. Awesome. Many of them that I could learn a lot from that have done incredible things. But they will say things like, well, what if no one comes forward? And I realize in a way that wouldn't be fair because we set the bar fairly high of what this event was for. But I'm talking about a regular Sunday where a pastor is afraid to give an altar call because no one can come forward. Well, God crucified that fear in me years ago because I realized what Amy McPherson said was true. Any preacher who does not give an appeal for souls at the end of his presentation is a failure. That's what she said. Well, here's why it's never bad. Say that we give an altar call tonight, nobody comes forward. Still good. 
because it becomes an illustrated sermon. It says we need to reach people. We need to win souls. Right? So that's good. But I'm going to tell you this part. The culture is sick and stupid. Listen to me. There is nothing more absurd than a Christian embarrassed about their faith. Because what America is feeding on and living on is absolute madness. And it's sick and it's stupid. And it's sick and it's stupid. And their dreams blow up in their face. And they get married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced. And they change partners and they're committing suicide. And sure, they go and practice yoga in a room that's 100 degrees. And they'll do this and they'll do that. And, they, they're, and 76 million, 76 percent of Americans are on prescription medication. And so they tell you, I'm going to give you an antidepressant. And you go home with that antidepressant, and then you see the commercial for it on TV, and it says, may give you thoughts of suicide. Okay, my drug that's trying to get me over my sadness is going to make me want to kill myself. That's what you've got? And then you hear a preacher preach the gospel clearing their throat. <clears throat> I know a lot of you think this is judgmental. <clears throat> and I know it sounds stern to say you give up everything for Christ. And you want to shake them. Compared to what living for the devil is like, what a joy to be a love slave of Jesus Christ. What a joy. Right? Well, here it is. Now I'm done. You wake up one morning and this alert comes on your phone. And you see a picture of a little girl. And it says, missing. You ever stop to think what a parent feels? How much better cancer would be? How much better dying in a car wreck than to sit in your house helpless wondering where is my child and who has my child and who, what are they doing to my child? So now you happen to be walking down by a park and you look and there's a swing and that little girl you saw on your phone is by herself on that swing. For some reason, her kidnapper has left her alone for an opportune moment. Now, let me ask you a question. You're going to walk up to that little girl and say, I know the thought of going home is terrible to you, and I don't want to give you too much at one time, but would you think about coming back home? Or would you say, you know, uh, the Lord has only given me part because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sow and someone else is going to water. <laughs> if it's a mama from the inner city, like I know a lot, let me tell you, the person that Satan dreads the most is grandma. 
He, when grandmas pray, I, I've got a whole slew of grandmothers that I ask to pray because they pray like nobody else. And I'm sorry, grandma gets in the closet, the ceiling tile starts cracking in hell. Yeah, I know that. Am I right? So, inner city, ghetto, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, blood-bought, angel-sought, Holy Ghost-taught. Grandma walks by that swing, having seen that picture. Oh, no. Oh, no. You want to walk in? You are coming with me now. And I get in the tent, and I look at the gangbangers in the attics, and I said, you are getting out of your prison now. Right now. Somebody help me. That's the way you do it. Right now. Bow your heads, everyone. If no one responds, I'm going to take it as a victory. Because I know this is a high-level, Holy Ghost, mighty, mighty convention. All right? I get that. But I'm still going to do this. I want you to let me pray for you. I want you to listen to me with your eyes closed. This is exactly what I do in the tent. You're getting a piece of it. Every night, no matter where we are. I want you to let me pray for you. You may believe that the despair in your life is so deep and you are so hopeless that you can't even talk to God about it because it's too complicated. Or you might think you're too angry. But I want to give you a promise. If any two of you, Matthew 18 says, agree as touching anything on earth, it will be done. Now, you may not believe it, but I'm going to believe God with you in prayer for God to forgive you. I'm going to believe God with you to break your addiction. I'm going to believe God with you that your anger, your lust, your jealousy, your despair, your yawning loneliness will be broken. And if you will let me say that prayer with you, if you will allow me the moment to agree with you for a better life, for the darkness to end and the fear to go away and for you to come home to God, your true Father, if you'll let me do that with nobody looking, put your hand in the air right now. Now, I admit I fooled you. But if your hand is in the air, get up on your feet right now. Stand up right now. When you stood to your feet, Satan lost his authority. He lost his authority. I want all of you that are standing to come up here, find the nearest aisle, walk up here, and I'm going to pray for you like I promised right now. And this is when the church should get real happy right now. Glory to God. 
Oof. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now. That's the Holy Spirit, honey. You're receiving something from the Holy Just speak it out right now. Speak it out right now. It's not English anymore. That's the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Come on. If there are, if there are ordained and trained and endorsed leaders who work with souls in this church, Come on up here right now, because there's power flowing. This is the day of miracles and transformation. Now, I want every one of you standing up here to say these words out loud. Say them after me. Unless you're overcome by the conviction in the Spirit, try to say these words from your heart. Say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. For me, I accept him as my Lord, as the master of my whole life. I ask you to wash away all my sin by the power of your blood that you shed for me and then rose from the dead. I believe that by dying for me, you proved you loved me. By rising from the dead, you proved you have the power to change me. Let me know you, Lord. With all my power, I surrender. And I belong to you now. Somebody out there get excited at your new brothers and sisters. It's awesome awesome and to God be the glory I forgot to mention that John Wesley said never go anywhere without materials that will help people I have put several of my items on one little thumb drive there's five best-selling books there is a video of when 2,000 souls were saved in the Cow Palace Arena in San Francisco. There is a video of many things, many best-selling books, and 20 sermons, audio that I've preached. And uh, it's, all, it's $25, and that goes onto the streets. That's where we put it. Everything we make goes right back into soul winning. But now... Let's focus on these wonderful people. Point your arm toward them right now. The Bible says some seed fell on good ground. That's what's happening right now. And I'm going to ask my brother to come on up on the stage. And in the name of Jesus, it was my honor and privilege to minister to you tonight. But let's take care of these people. Pray for them right now.